Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Ann Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, Swimming in a Jar of Mayonnaise, we are joined by Clint Ramos, Assistant Professor of Design and Head of Design and Production at Fordham University, and the recipient of the 2020 USA Fellowship for Theater, who shares his thoughts about how thinking creatively can help us reconceptualize teaching and learning at a distance. Clint Ramos is the head of design and production, uh, scenic and costume designer at Fordham University. He's a Tony and Obie Award winner, and we're so happy to have you at Fordham. You haven't been our colleague for all that long, and now you've been thrust into this really crazy <laughs> role of teaching theater when the theaters are closed. Yes. And that's a lot of why we wanted to talk to you, is we're thinking about what are the special challenges of moving online? And of course, one that came to mind very early on was performance classes. And so we really want to hear how you're doing it, how you're helping your colleagues do it. But maybe we can just start by you telling us a little bit about how you would have described your job in the fall. Um, what were you doing then and how has it changed with the advent of this uh, pandemic? When I came in, I rejiggered the curriculum for the design and production track. And so we were actually in the middle of implementing this new curriculum. And so it was going very well. I, you know, I think there was a lot of synergy between uh, the students and the, uh, and the faculty with this particular new curriculum. And, uh, and on top of that was a very sort of successful season in the main stage and in the studios, you know, which we as a track also support and participate in. So it was a fully functioning and well-oiled machine. I think a lot of people know that, you know, aside from sort of the academic um, and curricular stuff that we do, we do produce a full season of theater on the main stage. Um, and these are directed by professionals, you know, acted, designed by, stage managed by students. And so, you know, these are these are real productions happening uh, as if it would happen in a, in a professional theater. And so all of that I, has actually sort of seized. Teaching happens online now, but, um, you know, I think part of what we're struggling with and I have to say a lot of, at least in my track, you know, I, I can't speak for the acting or the directing track. And I know they're doing really well, too. I think I have to say that, you know, the adjuncts and uh, our team of teachers have really adjusted very well to teaching online. It's uh, design is different, you know, because um, the point of contact between humans is not um, it's not always necessary, you know, um, designers sort of work insularly and then we go out and then we go back in and go out, you know. So I think that was an advantage or that was a uh, a blessing because, you know, we could we could do our work remotely. I think part of the the thing that we can't do now is is really um, the other side of the practice, which is the implementation of the design and um, participating in, you know, what had been a, 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 you know, communal act. I know that, you know, there are a lot of 
new ideas that are coming in. Uh, I think, you know, the acting teachers, uh, you know, because we have this weekly faculty meeting. And they're, you know, I think they have to be commended for their limberness because, like, I think they, they, they really are creating new paradigms of teaching, you know, on top of dealing with what is, like, a, a mass malaise, you know, this this feeling of, well, what ultimately is going to happen to the theater? What is ultimately going to happen to us? You know, did we, I'm sure, uh, subconsciously, all of these students are thinking, did we make, what have we done? You know, like, right. have, what have we, we've chosen this path for our lives and, you know, and uh, the essential necessary thing for us to practice what we've devoted our lives to is, we're incapable of doing that right now, you know, so it's, it's, uh, we, we can't gather and we can't, you know, we, we can't commune in person in live human to human contact. From your perspective, as a person who's interested in design, can you talk a little bit about how some of those principles can be leveraged in virtual spaces, if that's at all possible? I think it's completely possible. You know, I think part of the um, what I've been meditating on, you know, since um, we've been um, quarantined is, you know, it's, it's really multifaceted, but it's 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 about that particular question. And, you know, I think even prior to this thing happening, there had always been this question gnawing uh, in my head about, well, you know, how do we actually Knowing how we teach theater, and although, you know, I think Fordham is at the vanguard of it, over the past, I would say, five to ten years, there is, like, an increasing velocity. There has been this move towards uh, the breaking down of walls between media, right? So theater, television, film, and even digital media, um, the, the walls have become more and more porous. And I think as theater educators, we've always kind of, like, you know, we've had this and I think with increasing uh, uh, loudness, just yelling in the back of our heads, like, how do we do this? How do we integrate? And in a way, how do we create space for theater education uh, in this sort of environment? And, and I think it's, I actually, I'm very inspired by what we're doing and what we're thinking about, you know? And I think, as I, as I was saying, I think this is about this sort of, what had been unaddressed, I think, in theater education is now forcing us to address it, which is this sort of how do we accommodate this increasingly collapsing walls between theater, TV and film and digital media. And, you know, everyone who writes for television or for Netflix, for Amazon, HBO or Apple TV, they're all playwrights. You know, an, right. an actor, an actors, they're all playwrights. All of them are, are playwrights and they go back to the theater every now and then. But all of them, they basically this pool of, of, of playwrights have been called. And, you know, uh, I just did um, a film. I just did a, an MGM film for, uh, I mean, for a, a film for MGM. I just designed it to respect, um, which was directed by a theater director um, and had all of these, the, you know, theaters to Audra McDonald was in it and you know I think this is this is happening more and more so I think by you know by encouraging um, consciousness around because I think here's the thing I think I have to go back and say what our education now ought to be at least you know I think 
for the you know for the foreseeable few months it is about content creation right it isn't about a, a live performance but it's true, truly about if we are going to communicate something it is about content creation and it's not trying to replicate what what a, a theater performance is but it should it, it ought to be some hybridized version of what uh, that performance would be but with a consciousness of content creation and i think if we think of it this way then maybe we're actually giving our students a leg up almost like giving them a clear sort of window, a taste of this porousness um, between these mediums. And, and and I'm excited about that. And so I think part of the the things that we're meditating as a, as a as a program, but also for me specifically, I think is is really how do we do this? You know, how do we how do we virtualize everything? And you know, if we don't have if we don't have a vaccine or if we don't have a, a, a completely foolproof methodology on how we can gather, I think we ought to really consider implementing something like this for the fall. You know, um, uh, and that's sort of where my my head is. You know, and I've kind of like really laid out a sort of very ambitious kind of plan that that my colleagues and I are, are reviewing and talking about. And hopefully, you know, if there is if the if the university does decide that we are going to go virtual in the fall, then you know we can implement it with haste. Can you say some of the things that you are doing in your classes or some of the things that you're hearing from your colleagues that they're doing in terms of teaching performance classes that strike you as, oh yeah, that's totally the right way to do that exercise we'd normally do in person or to talk about that thing we'd normally do in person. And this is an innovative solution for doing it when we're not able to be in the same room together. For the design classes, because we've just been scrambling, you know, I think part of the mandate, the, the, the initial mandate that I had for my adjunct teachers who teach under my track was really like, let's lead with empathy, right? We are, we are basically facing a populace right now who is just especially this particular generation who I think right now angry and um and confused and ultimately especially for the seniors you know having the rug pulled under them um so let's do that and actually let's pause what our syllabi you know let's pa let's pause the syllabi let's actually just think about how can we address the emotional landscape right now right and in doing so, if we address that emotional landscape, how can we actually also harness that emotional landscape so we can insert pedagogic stuff in it? Right? And so, for instance, I think one of the great things, we, we, we have a class called uh, History of Theater Design, right? And it's basically a, a survey of design movements, theatrical design movements through history uh, and across the globe. Um, and it's closely tied into uh, history of architecture and history of mode of dress, right? So it's 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 sort of it, it ties it all together, and um, you know, and we have a very exciting syllabus for it. But of course, all of that got cut short. And I think what we're doing right now is actually re retooling that so we touch points in in world history that uh, that were affected by plagues and how um, the semiotics that come out of 
plagues that affect art, right? And I think, you know, for, for instance, a lot of the masks that come out of the, uh, uh, the Commedia mask, for instance, the El Dottore comes directly from that plague mask, you know? I, all of this I, I, is sort of adding some synergy between, oh, yes, this is what we're dealing with right now, but look at what actually, what we can actually uh, learn from it. Also, what we've been doing uh, is taking advantage of the time and um, that, that we have at hand and encouraging our students to actually do all of these virtual tours of all of these museums that, you know, frankly, during the regular school year, we wouldn't have any, any time to do. So they can go do a 360 of the Baghdad Museum. It's a, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic tool that has always been there, but we've never really taken advantage of it. You know, the general thing and how we're teaching the, the design classes, right? Like uh, we have a scenic design class we're offering it this semester uh, under Mark Wendland. And it's a, it's a, although it is a small class, it's about six students, you know, he's chosen to actually forego uh, what we call crit, which is basically in a normal classroom setting, all the students would put up their work and we go around three hours, you know, talking about each other's work, critiquing it. And what he's done is he's put that on hold and in, and actually just deals with the students on a one-by-one tutorial basis, you know. And so there is, there is more of an interpersonal thing. And so within that, there is, you know, psychological, emotional checkup. And then referencing that to the work you know it's no longer there's no longer a mandate for creating things 3d you know we're encouraging the students to actually draw it and make sure that it's it's 2d and if they do want it if it's in within their bandwidth we're encouraging them to design the thing for this virtual world you know for for a virtual um, uh, uh, performance, you know, so, uh, and I think that sort of ties in and how we can actually sort of make this whole virtual learning more um, sophisticated for, for theater design students and for theater students in general, you know, so I think that's sort of like where we are. Um, it's important to know that at least for the theater student, right, uh, um, and I think just for the for, for Fordham, you know, this Kura personalis is is so couldn't be more appropriate right now, you know, because we really need to take care of the whole human being. You know, we believe that a great theater artist or a great theater practitioner, whether whether or not they are they define themselves as artists, are, need to be complete human beings first. So, you know, that is that is sort of the mandate. Um, I know that my colleagues who do performance um, uh, have also done similar things. You know, they've actually really condensed their syllabi and tackle what's on the surface is is less, right? But you're actually doing so much more because you're considering the zeitgeist that their students are in right now. You know, for a lot of them, especially for theater students, they join they 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 join the theater not only for yes, you know, the the, the practice itself, but actually, for, I think, and I can speak. From my own experience, I pursued a theatrical education because I needed a community. Most theater students always, growing up, always feel like they've been um, outsiders and they've been left out, you know. And so, so uh, for our students, we have to consider that going back home is feels like a reversal. Of, of what they've been working towards, you know. Um, and, and I'm not talking about some sort of like independence or freedom, but the, the claiming of a community, the, the seeking of their tribe, you know, going back to their families 
feels bittersweet because yes, there is safety in family, but you're literally being torn apart from your community. I mean, we have these studio shows that students practice. You know, we have 16 studio shows completely directed by, produced by, designed by students. And, and we support them, uh, but we support them by backing off. You know, we give them the, 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 the resources to do this, the space to do this, and the time to do it. So they, there is a full practice that these students are doing on top of their academic stuff. And that's been taken away from them. So we have to consider what, you know, what the psychological imprint of that is uh, before we can even talk about assignments. Right. That's so important what you say about community and we've been talking about community in various ways with various faculty and staff in different areas of the university and it's particularly poignant what you describe about the theater community are you hearing about things that students are doing on their own or are you trying to facilitate because so much of what you're describing is not during classroom hours so are there things that your colleagues are doing or that you are doing to kind of create virtual spaces for people to continue to gather? Or is that something you're thinking about? There are a couple of things that we as a program feel are important. I think part of it is the continuance of practice. How do we create a space, an environment where these students can still practice and practice with the same um, intensity and ferocity that they did, right? And then, because then that would mean that if we do that, maybe there is a way make what had been the studio season, the 16 plays and these four main stage plays, what is essentially our season, right? Our presenting season, maybe that becomes the curriculum, you know? So maybe if we think of this possibility, then maybe we can, we can see how in, in, in varying degrees of detail, how creating these productions is actually what we, what we teach. And by that, I, I, you know, there are many questions that, that arise. And so I think part of it is like, well, how can we do this? How can we produce? You know, we're not together. I, we're definitely going to have to do it through Zoom or through some sort of platform like that. Uh, uh, but maybe it is it is then about, okay, let, just, let's just say, for instance, we're producing, part of the season next year is Men on Boats, right? And I don't know if you know about this play. It's, it's basically written by Jacqueline Bauhaus. It's, it's a fantastic play about, but all of these male explorers, right? Like uh, in the 1800s. But the player purposely makes sure that it stipulates that it, it, it ought to be performed by, by women and non, uh, non-gender binary performers, right? And so, and it's about conquests, about, you know, man's desire to do all of it. <laughs> if we look at that as sort of like the, the anchor, right? So then, then there are things that, um, if we produce that, normally what we would do is we would, we would ask the director to think of, you know, think of her concept for the theater. She would do auditions, she would do rehearsals. The designers come in, you know, they, they talk with the director, a dramaturg comes in and they talk with the director uh, uh, and they, they, they do, you know, they, we build the set, we build the costume, we hang the lights, we do all the sound and then they, you know, they're on stage, we do a, a week of technical rehearsals and then we serve it to the audience, right? So that's all analog. All of that is analog. So then, then the question becomes, 
how do we do this virtually? Just the production itself, right? So I think then, 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 then how can we as a department support virtual rehearsals, right, through Zoom? Can we talk to the director and, in, and ask her to reimagine the presentation as a virtual experience, right? We define it for that. Not, not approximate what we would have done before, analogly, that's a word, but actually rethink of it as a Zoom performance, right? And that is sort of the mandate for every single person. But on top of that, make every piece of that moving machine be attached to the curriculum, at least for the fall. Let's let, let go of all the curriculum that we've had. So for instance, I think part of what we, you know, what I'm thinking of doing is like, if, if, if we can open up the process, because usually creating theater is so insular, right? What the audience sees is ultimately what we've worked on in rooms that are private, and then ultimately we serve it up, right? And so maybe in this sort of new paradigm, we open up these rooms and those become um, almost witness rooms or watching rooms akin to sort of surgical theaters, right? And so we're actually inviting the students to, to watch the creation of the thing. So the witnessing and the watching is the very, is the very transmission method of the pedagogy. I think, like, and I'm just going to cite an example, right? So, like, when she auditions, I think it could be really amazing if that audition is open and we watch the audition, right? Rehearsals, perhaps some rehearsals are open for the for the theater population to watch. Uh, maybe there is a talk with a playwright that launches the whole thing, and that's also open, you know. Maybe the directing class witnesses rehearsals, witnesses dramaturgy we have a class called page to stage maybe that class also is actually participating in in in, in the dissection of the play itself right um and then design you know how can we do a set design uh, uh, uh virtually then maybe we ask we ask the designer to think about again like we're asking the director to think about directing in this new medium we ask the designer to do that you know, same with lights uh, uh, with costumes perhaps there is a way to to, to design the the costume so that it's the designer can actually call through the actor's wardrobe at home pick pieces, approximate a costume so that they can wear that in the performance. Or maybe there is a way that we can do a community build where one piece of clothing actually is being built and is being, there are a couple of stops in building them that ultimately is then lands in the performer's house. Do you know what I mean? So that we continue this sort of like practice that we do as a community, but do it, do, do this sort of like toggling between digital and analog, right? A hat that that person was wearing at that final performance actually went through four sets of hands, right? Like it just, it, it travels. And so, so I think that there's, there's so many things that we can, that we can think about, but ultimately I think what we want to do is do like one webinar where the designers and the director talk about the design process, um, contextualizes what the performance is, and then a second night would be the performance itself, you know. And I think what's funny about the Zoom sort of form is that it actually makes, it redefines how we think of theater, 
right? So if, let's just say there's like 16 actors, right? So there would be 16 like, you know, squares on the screen. In a particular act, when we're asking characters to be in one room, right? In, re in regular theater, they'll just be in one room, right? There's a design for a room, but maybe the, the paradigm shift is then maybe they are now in identical contexts. So let's say characters two, three, four, and you know, 12 and 11 are actually in the same room in that particular scene. So maybe we set up the background so that they're in, in, in the same background in the same lighting conditions that of course we sort of like guide them through. And we redefine being in the room by being in the same context. You know, so I think there's a lot of things that we can sort of think about in terms of how to make this sophisticated, right? But I think one of the things that excites me about this model is then tying all of that curricularly. We throw away all of the stuff that we used to do and actually just focus on these plays, these 16 plays that we're producing in the studio in the main stage season. So we create a community synergy around it. Everybody is following the production of these plays curricularly, but also uh, extracurricularly. It's as if they're all members of a non-scripted series that they're following, right? And I, I, you know, I think there, there's so many sort of offshoots, like the students on their off time could create content in their own Instagram or TikTok for this, or, you know, like that, that's aligned to what, what these plays are. But I, I think what was a curse, you know, because we couldn't practice like together could actually be a blessing because then we give our students some sort of um, foot in into this sort of multimedia experience. I mean, ultimately, I think that's where the theater needs to go. It needs to acknowledge the existence of social media. It needs to, to acknowledge the existence of, of film and theater and not be so insular. I think, you know, we suffer, I think, theatrical performances and artists, you know, aside from, of course, the monetary thing, we suffer from the stigma of being elitist. And I think the problem is that we've actually never really considered what being a populist uh, 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 form is now. And I think that's, that has to do with acknowledging other media. Are there insights that you might share from your background for the typical instructor that they can leverage to try to animate these Zoom spaces in ways that are just not informational? Can I say that I think it's also time, right? I think it is, it, it, is, it is about time. I think in acknowledging this new media, we have to rejigger how, what we think class lengths are. Um, I, and I tell you this because we've taken for granted what the normal attention span is, even for non-students, if they're in front of a screen. What had been like a three-hour lecture is just not sustainable anymore. You know, it wasn't sustainable <laughs> before this digital, digital media. So I'm not saying get rid of the, 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 the content of that lex lecture, but, you know, think of a ways, think of ways to break it up, think of ways to condense it. And maybe we like, again, do less. You know, it's really, I think that's one of the things that I, I, I think is, is, is important. You know, the other thing that's really, a couple of my design teachers have been doing is they've been creating podcasts. They've been creating podcasts. So this is fascinating. And, and, I, and I love that they just did this. So I have two teachers 
Nina Vartanian teaches introduction to to fashion design, which is in our in our program, and Ao Lee teaches drafting for the theater, and they together teach history of theater design. Um, and what they've been doing is that they've been actually talking to each other on these podcasts about these topics, right? What they what they find fascinating. What, for instance. Pre-Columbian theater and 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 what are the design markers of that theater and how is theater defined in that particular society in that particular time? They discuss it for about forty-five minutes in a podcast form, and it is so um, consumable. And the students love it. They love it because they can do that while they're dealing with stuff at home. You know, I think we have to be cognizant of of how people listen and view things in their own home, doing their own domestic stuff. I think we need to really, you know, if we're baking and listening to an audiobook, how do we replicate that in a sort of, in a pedagogical sense? You know, how do we do that? You know, because that is, that to me is the secret of transmitting information and content virtually. It, it's not to, to, to make this form fit into what we've been doing before, but acknowledge this form as a new thing. And actually we need to fit into it. We need to create content, content that's consumable. We need to create content that is, 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 is dynamic, you know, and it's really about that. It's about creating content. I learned that I could listen to really, really detailed history books when I go for a run. I'm an incredibly slow runner. But I'd always wanted to read Barbara Tuckman's Guns of August, and I just never got around to it because who wants to sit down and read an incredibly detailed 700-page book on the first week of World War One? But it accompanied me for about three months on a whole series of runs, and it's in my head, and there's stuff now I know about the First World War that I wouldn't have known. But if it hadn't been an audiobook, I would never have gotten that information into my brain. Yeah, you know, like even the idea of papers, right? How, why does it need to be written down, right? Why can't we actually ask the students to record themselves with these thoughts? These, why can't we do a recorded presentation? You know, I, I mean, the, the idea of like empathy and sort of like history. I like you. I was, I was, um, I was exercising, and I was. I had never had the time to listen to Rebecca Solnit. I don't know. She's oh, this, she's wonderful. She's fantastic, right? And so, um, and I've I've always wanted to re read her books, but of course, you know, whatever. Um, uh, this just time, right? And, and she, you know, she she talks about this thing where by listening to each other's normal daily lives we listen to each other's histories right and history is where hope lies it's not in looking at the future it's actually looking at your history your own personal history that's that's sort of the 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 key and i think part of how we we create dynamism in this sort of virtual learning experience is really knowing the students, having a dialogue with them, you know, having this, you know, going back to Mark Wendland, who's teaching set design, and he just chose to like scrap the group thing and just do an individualized study. That to me, he said, I am learning so much from them. Right. I am learning so much from them. Something that is 
that getting just by the nature of being in a group are hidden are now being revealed. And I understand where the impetus for these design choices are. And I love that. I love these, we may not be able to have the same physical output, but there's no point in the physical output right now. We're not building sets, you know? We're, but, but what we're gaining is an infinite amount of knowledge of that human being. And I think that's, that is key. And that student, I bet you, learned so much about themselves just by talking about themselves. Of course. It's, it's a scary time, but it's an exciting time. You know, We're coming to the end of our conversation. And I've been asking everyone in this moment, is there a teacher that you look back to as someone who continues to inspire you or someone that you think, oh, she was really on the right track or boy, <laughs> I really am glad that he was a part of my life. Right. Um, you know, I, I often talk about this particular teacher. Um, he was my teacher uh, in grad school. Um, his name is Paul Steinberg and he's very much alive. He's around. He's like a great theatrical force. Um, but he always said that you know, he was he was all about what is the most essential, right? And he said that anything that you present can ought to be just distilled to one emotion. And and the first thing that you think about when you feel that feeling is the correct thing. And I say this because I think a lot of us, um, especially in theater design. Um, get lost in these details, right? You know, I remember when he said that to me, he said, we were doing Salome. And he said, what is this? What do you feel when you listen to this music, the Strauss and, 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 and this particular story, you know? And, 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 and I said, you know, I feel, you know, decadent. I feel decadent. I feel really decadent. And he says, what's the first thing when you feel decadent what is the first thing that comes into your mind i said mayonnaise <laughs> and he said and then he goes all right your opera is set in a jar of mayonnaise and you know it was perfect i mean when you listen to strauss and when you listen to the story of like mary of, of salome dancing and and, and herod and, and imagine all of these characters swimming in a jar of mayonnaise it is brilliant but, but <laughs> i like... always go back to that lesson that paul said to me because in this particular time when when I, when i think the key is to do less it's also about distillation it's not about foregoing things it's about distilling things to an essence um and so, yeah, no, I think about Paul a lot these days. <laughs> you know, we have this time and we have this opportunity to actually look at what, how we've been doing things. And, uh, and I think this has been, you know, awful and horrendous uh, as, a, as a nation, as a world. Uh, but I think there are pockets of, of opportunities here that, you know, that we would have never actually uh, realized and, uh, until we're, you know, until we're, we're, we've been faced with it. Thank you. Thank you so much, thank Clint, for you your time. So it's great to talk to you. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.